For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We had started off the week's hike with azure skies and exhilarating sunshine, a temperate rainforest soaking in the sun. It's a wonder to behold. Three days of glorious weather as we meandered up the North Fork Quinault River Valley. And okay, we got lackadaisical. Stayed up late under the stars talking. It was a great hike so far, but my favorite part was that Becky was along, and all three of our kids, along with a plethora of others that Dr. Rachel had invited. She's the ultimate lost puppy dog uh, person. <laughs> so Paul and Aaron, our boys, they slept in the tent with the other guys. Becky and our good friend, Dr. Rachel, were with the other girls in another tent. But Rochelle and I did our favorite thing, and we set up hammocks under some huge fir trees that grew close together. The stars were twinkling in their lofty dome long before we made our way each to our sleeping station. Rochelle and I, we couldn't see the stars through the massive canopy of branches above us. We talked for another couple of hours before we drifted off to a comfortable sleep. It seemed like I had just begun to slumber when I heard Rochelle say, Hey, Dad, what's that? (laughs) Huh? What's what? That noise. I was half awake, and and things do sound a lot different in in the woods. So it was a while before I responded, I think it's raining. (laughs) Okay, it's a rainforest. I mean, (laughs) we were under those towering firs and no rain had penetrated that great natural umbrella. Everybody else, not so much so. I walked to the edge of our little haven and, and truthfully, this was a deluge that would have impressed Noah. It was great. Uh, There's a lot to this story, but suffice it to say that when I got up to check, the ladies' encampment was perfectly fixed, you know, backpacks stood up all covered, the tent is safely repelling the flood. Ah, but the boys, (laughs) if only they had done it right. If only I had checked on them, which I usually did before retreating to my hammock. If only I'd have been cozily ensconced in my hammock. I almost tripped over their backpacks. They were strewn haphazardly around, zippered compartments wide open. And then the tent, this was a borrowed tent, and the guarantee of usability did not uh, exactly match the reality. It only had one door, and the boys had left the bottom open, unzipped, and so the driving deluge was being funneled directly into their tent. Add to that that the rainfly was nowhere to be seen. And you get a picture of what was happening. But even I was surprised to find that there was standing water inside the tent. Okay, And these were all teenage boys, so incredibly soaking wet though they were, they hadn't even woken up yet. (laughs) It took close to an hour to get them well situated as possible, but with saturated sleeping bags, they had a miserable night. In the morning, the ladies found out what had happened, and with the rain looking like it might last 40 days and 40 nights, Uh, we realized there was no way their sleeping bags were going to dry out. We had to go back to civilization where one might find a dryer. It would take two days of walking. And uh, we had to give up Goodkin Creek, our life's goal, well, our hike's goal. (laughs) 
Anyway, much more to the story. Just ask me. I'll, I'll tell you all you want to know. <laughs> but it boils down to this. The ladies decided they didn't want to spend another night in the rainforest. And I said, what? Do you realize it took two days to get here? We will have to walk most of the night. Do you understand? Well, Dr. Rachel and Becky are two of the most determined women on the face of the earth. When they decide something, there's no point in trying to change their minds. You might as well try to stop the tide from flowing in or the rain from falling in a rainforest. But out of this came one of the most amazing sights I have ever seen in my life. Fortunately, the rain let up, but the sun also set. Each person pulled out a flashlight and we continued walking. It must have been four hours later as the forest opened up a bit that I saw it. You see, we were constantly going up and down and around little hills, right? And I stayed in the back of the the group to make sure we didn't lose anybody as we marched along. As I came up a little knoll in the dark night, I looked up and there it was. I don't know how to make this clear, but this vision ranks up there nearly as high as the sight of our children when they were first born. It seemed beyond earthly as it moved before me and stopped me in my tracks. It was pitch black, pitch black in the midst of the thick forest on that cloudy night. But ahead of me on the trail, there were little pools of light weaving their way up and down and around. It was nothing. I mean, lifelessness, absolute darkness everywhere else. But here and there and there and there. It was as if life moved with each of those little pools of light as they weaved through the darkness. Nothingness before they came. Nothingness after they left. Death reigned everywhere else. And the same empty, lifeless place in the forest came alive again and again each time a light passed over. I couldn't see the people, Becky and Rachel and the kids. Only the light they shone on their little part of the world, one after the other. And then a thought came to me. I didn't want to pass over this forest because when my little pool of light went by, there would be nothingness, lifelessness, dead darkness behind me with no hope. There was no light coming after me. No one behind me. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We were darkness. Now we are light. Pools of light in a dark world. Of course, flashlights are one thing, but how do we shine spiritual light? into the world. Well, we better go back to the beginning of this section, which is a transition from the last section, Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To shine as lights in the world, we need to imitate God. In specific, to walk in love, which is to give ourselves up in sacrifice to God. Paul will shortly say, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk 
as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. If we are children of God, then we will bring little pools of life into the darkness of the world around us. That which grows out of us will be good, right, and true. Well, (laughs) when we get it right. I don't know about you, but I don't always get it right. Can I get it like an amen? Okay, thank you. <laughs> we are to be like pools of light in a dark world and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do we shine as pools of light to please our Father? Paul had just written before this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Instead, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Have you ever heard the expression, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission? (laughs) I wonder, do we take advantage of our Lord? Like little children greedy for their desires. They don't trust that what their parents want for them is better than what they want for themselves. They don't even care enough to think about their parents' feelings. Because they know in the end their parents would still love them. Have we grown enough to trust God? Are we mature enough to care? Then take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. This is how we show we care. This is how we make little pools of light in the night. Now Paul has already called the desires of those in the dark deceitful. Now he points out that they do not produce fruit. That is, they do not satisfy. Now we know why people who don't believe pursue useless desires, but why would we participate in behavior that is useless? Maybe because we're immature in our faith. We don't completely trust God. We still think our desires are better than God's desires for us. We don't care enough yet to think about grieving him when we should seek to please him. I mean, he's going to forgive us anyway, right? (laughs) But what are the unfruitful works of darkness that we're not supposed to do? Paul describes the big three sins. Sexual immorality, greed, inappropriate language. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. This is all, by the way, about personal sins, not corporate or group sins, our church or town or country. No, this is about what we as individuals we're bent towards doing when we lived in lifeless darkness. Sexual sins, greed, language sins. Let's look at them individually. Sexual immorality. The number one sin then, the same now. (laughs) Sexuality is grossly distorted and out of control in our country. I mean, does anybody want to disagree? (laughs) But it should not be among Christians. When they exist in the dark, men boost their egos as they conquer women physically using relationship to get sex. We're not even going to talk about men 
conquering men this way. We're just not going to deal with it. Well, women conquer men emotionally using sex to get relationship. We see it all the time. Let's consider one particular aspect of this sin. Pornography. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you. The pornography of males tends to center on the visual. Uh, Never in the history of mankind has visual titillation been more readily available than since greedy people have abused the internet. So men, will we look or will we turn away? It's often been said that pornography for women centers on stories, thinking romance novels or tear-jerking movies. And I doubt there's a woman in America who would deny it is a lot easier to get a relational fix artificially than it is with a real flesh and blood husband. <laughs> They're a lot more work. Or maybe in the excitement of an illicit relationship. Carefully consider this paragraph. It comes from the NIV application commentary on Ephesians. But society also sends contradictory messages that reveal condemnation of such activity even while it is being embraced. We keep this material from children, but why if it is so harmless? We fall for sexual titillation, but become indignant at any hint of sexual harassment. We accept the lack of sexual restraints, but the press crucifies politicians guilty of illicit sexual activity. The entertainment industry leads both the promotion of sexual promiscuity and, is it out of guilt, the battle against AIDS. Once again, sin is shown to be the failure to do what we know. What we know, I might add, is right to do. Everybody, saint and sinner alike, really knows when we're doing wrong. We're going to accept the occasional weird anomalies who have so seared their consciousness that they feel nothing. But for us, we must do what is good and right and true. We must be light in a dark world. And what's the first step in that? Let there be thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving? (laughs) Yes, stopping to crying and avoiding the perversions of our former life is critical. But mostly, we need to be thankful to God for what He has given us. Thankful, for instance that he has given us morality and purity in the area of sexuality. It's the first step in living as children of light. Can we be thankful for that possibility in each and every one of us? Let's go on to examine Scripture's next point. Greed, or as Paul says, covetousness. Covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Covetousness is the consuming passion for that which we don't have. Greed usually focuses on money issues, gambling, embezzlement. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. To quote Dr. Snodgrass again, the only goals most people know are pleasure and possessions. And for many, that means life goes out of control. 
Even Christians can see their lives spiral out of control if they don't seek to be light. But we are to do what is good and right and true, to be light in this dark world. And note Paul's reference to proper behavior, as is proper among saints. Uh, can saints act improperly? <laughs> yeah, you know it. But even non-believers know Christians should be different. Christians aren't supposed to act that way. <laughs> That's true. Usually when they say something like this, they're, they're trying to get something from us. Okay, That's usually the truth. But the fact is, everybody knows Christians should act differently. Are we? Well, are you? <laughs> but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That brings us to foul language. It sometimes seems Christians want to ride as close to the edge of the cliff as they can without actually falling off. <laughs> And they often do this with language. Thirty years ago, when I was managing a small photography store, a man came in walking with a cane. It was abundantly clear that he had suffered a stroke, one side of his body not responding very well as he hobbled to the counter. He started to speak with our sales clerk, clearly enjoying the conversation, when suddenly a foul word slipped out. He covered his mouth, tears came to his eyes, and he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I never speak like that. He explained that the stroke had damaged the part of his brain that controls language. I'm so sorry to say that in front of you, he told her. I was right close by and wanted kind of somehow to ease his mind, so I said, I'm afraid she's heard worse than that. Pay attention to what he said. Not from me, she hasn't. Hmm. I'd always uh, tried to avoid profane language, but from that very day, I... I've been a lot more careful. By the way, I can still see him. <laughs> Thirty years later, I can see his face clear as a bell. In the pain of his physical limitation, that man got it. Do we understand how damaging a loose tongue can be? If we use language outside the church gatherings that we wouldn't inside, we're probably sinning. How do we speak with our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our spouses, our kids? Do we delight to tell dirty jokes? Humor can be used in good or evil ways. Do we like to use common words to create sexual innuendos? Language, the man wrote, is distorted so that words like sophisticated, mature, or gentleman are used to describe sexual perversion, deviancy, and pornography. This use of language is out of place for us. We need to be light in a world crushed by darkness, which means we must not speak in this evil way, but instead speak good, right, and true words. And again, the solution? How about we speak words of thanksgiving? <laughs> Let us have an attitude of gratitude to our Lord who gave us the ability to communicate. Let us communicate light. Let us be communicating gratefulness. 
We never did get to go where I wanted to go on our hike, Goodkin Creek. In fact, I still have never made it there. Still plan to. Found a whole new route that should make it possible to get there maybe a day less time. But can I take a little break and tell you about it? There are no trails into Goodkin Creek, into the valley. Never have been. And it's huge. It's bigger than the Enchanted Valley, which is big. But it won't have all the waterfalls and that. But somehow, somehow, I guess I've got to get there. I'm just so entranced by the place I've got to get there. But back to the hike we were on. You know, life changes and our new destination was the car. <laughs> a way to get to a place that was warm. Paul, the apostle, has emphasized the difference between those who are light and those who are darkness. Now he reminds them of the eventual destinations. Very different destinations. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Those who refuse the gift of Jesus do so because they like the dark. They prefer the temporary titillation of their own deceitful and unfruitful desires. Their lust is more appealing to them than heaven. They would rather pursue their desires than gain heaven. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. People who are pursuing their own desires will try to tell you there is no hell. It makes no difference what we do. But the wrath of God awaits those who reject the light. It's critically important to recognize this truth. If we don't, why would we care what they do? Why would we care what we do? Note that they are sons of disobedience. Sons of is often used in Scripture to mean those who are like, want to be like, seem to be like something. They are sons of disobedience. Well, we are children of light. Imitators of God as beloved children. The Holy Spirit resides in us. We can do good, live right, speak truth. Whereas they can really only pursue the darkness of their desires. How do we deal with those who are the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. We are trying to show them light, but we must not partner with them. This word, partners, we've run into already in this letter, Ephesians, while well, a word from the same root, partakers. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We should not be partners with, partake in the things of those in darkness. There are some who will never come to the light. We should not be their partners. Darkness is separation from the light. We're talking spiritual death here. We are light. They are darkness. We will live forever with God. They will die forever without God's grace. We must not partner with them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. 
But let's back up one step. Paul said, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he goes even further. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. <laughs> expose them. It's not enough to not participate, not partner in their evil deeds. We must expose the evil nature of their sins which we do simply by being light, by not doing the things that they do. And in case this escaped you somehow, maybe I should say it straight out. They really don't like that. And so they give gag orders to people who own bakeries. They won't give weddings. Prepare for... That's what they do. Paul said, anyone who covets is an idolater. An idol is anything which is placed in priority over God. People get angry when their idols get attacked. So why would we want to expose their sins? <laughs> because they might wake up. They might come to the light. But with, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are in the light. In fact, we are light. When we do good, live right and speak the truth, even though it is painful for them to hear, we show them the light. And maybe, just maybe, they'll step into the light. But what happens if we stop walking like we're in the light? What if we partner with them in the darkness? How are those in the dark to see the light? Our goal on our hike was to get to Goodkin Creek and see what no other human has ever seen. Well, certainly few. Well, that got dumped and now we were just trying to make it back to the car. As soon as we had decided to go back, our oldest son, Paul, asked if he and some of the other boys could hot-foot it back to the car so they could be warm that night. Now, this was before the ladies had decided not to take two days, but to keep going without stopping that evening. Uh, Aaron stayed with us to help the younger ones, but I couldn't blame Paul. The, the tent that he had would not keep them warm and dry if it rained again that night, and they expected that it would. Anyway, they'd gone on ahead, so there were only about eight of us left. I can't begin to tell you all the amazing things that happened in that hike, but the end result was getting back to the trailhead. I think it was just before one in the morning. And no vehicle. <laughs> None. Not a, nothing. <laughs> we found out later that Paul and the boys realized they could drive down to town and drive their sleeping bags at the laundromat. But at that moment, we didn't know where they were or when they'd come back. They didn't expect us until the end of the next day. Oh yeah, and did I tell you? We'd left all our tents and our sleeping bags and anything else we didn't need in a pile off the side of the trail miles back so that we could move faster. We figured we'd just go back and get it on a nice weekend. So now we're standing at the end of the trail with the temperature dropping, no way to keep ourselves warm, almost no food to eat, batteries dying in most of the flashlights, no transportation, and we're 25 miles from the closest phone. Do you ever feel like life is like that? <laughs> You poured your heart out trying to walk as a child of light to show what is good and right and true, trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, to do what is proper among saints, to give 
thinks. You know where you're headed, you know where they are headed, and you care enough to challenge them. Maybe they too will step into the, out of the darkness into the light. And then you find yourself feeling like you're dead in the water, out of energy, no place to go, no way to get anything, cold and no place to rest. May I suggest you do what we did in the middle of that dark night, appeal to the Father of Lights. We'd been walking for close to 15 hours, so there wasn't a lot of energy and no real clear thinking left in any of us. Somehow, one of the kids noticed just off the trailways uh, an old dilapidated building. The doors were off the hinges. The windows were covered with plywood. I made him wait while I went inside to make sure it wouldn't collapse on us. We got in there and it made it as airtight as possible. The kids were huddled up under emergency blankets. Even Dr. Rachel collapsed under the floor, shivering in her own silvery shroud. I fired up the can stove until it was glowing red, but there wasn't much fuel left. I was surprised how long it did run, nearly a half hour. The room was lit by the flame and got almost toasty warm before that distinctive hiss suddenly stopped. And we were plunged once more into darkness. It wasn't terribly long before it began to grow cold. (laughs) Okay, Father, you helped us once. Please, I'm too tired. I'm too worn out. I can't protect them. I can't help them. You're going to have to come through here, God. It was almost at that very moment when headlights came flashing up the road. Headlights at probably two in the morning. I decided I better go out and find out who it was and see if there was any way we could get some help. I cannot describe to you my joy when I realized it was Paul and the other boys. They were nice and warm in the tiny laundromat, which turned out to be self-serve, open 24 hours a day, when they decided they would come back up and wait until first light so they could more quickly hike up and help us carry everything back down. Now we stuffed ourselves into all into that one little minivan, cranked up the heater, and drove out. We had all been little pools of lights as we walked down that trail. And we felt lonely, And a little afraid as we trudged along in the night. And when it looked darkest, the Father sent us some other lights to encourage us. Lights in the form of teenage boys. Sometimes it's hard to walk as children of light. But we need to know we'll never be alone. God will always be there. Maybe in the form of a teenage son. Maybe touching our hearts directly. At one time, we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Now we walk as children of light. Father, thank you. You show us things in this life that help us to understand. Somehow to understand what spiritual life is like. We really don't know. We don't have spiritual eyes. But you show us through this physical sometimes things that help us to understand. Lord, we want to be pools of light. We're not much. We're pretty little. But we can shine a little light. Somehow bring life into the darkness. Help us to do that, Lord. First, by being thankful by avoiding those things which can
drag us down, that drag other people down. Help us to somehow shine light so people will have hope. Maybe they will see our light passing by them. Maybe they will want to have, want to come into the light, want to understand the light. Maybe they will find the light and they themselves will begin to be little lights shining in the world until one day that great light who is Jesus Christ returns and makes everything clear, and makes everything bright, and brings us into the new creation where everything is perfect and bright and life everywhere. Thank you, Father. We do wait for that day. But right now, help us to be lights. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.